Thanks so much to Laura for playing for us today and to our singers as well and the good lead that they've been giving us in our worship of the Lord. And I hope that you've had a good Christmas, that you aren't suffering too much from those post-Christmas blues that sometimes you hear people talk about. There are some people, and, and they can just be like that. I remember as I was growing up on Christmas Day, or more specifically on Christmas night, we always went to visit another family from the church. And the dad of that family, I think it would be fair to say he was a kind of glass half empty kind of guy. And every single year without fail, and it used to depress me, we arrived in and his greeting would be on Christmas night, oh well, it's as far away as it ever was. And what he was saying was, you know, Christmas, it's as far away as you're going to get. You have to wait a whole year for all of that to happen again. And it really burst my bubble, all those presents that I was joy enjoying, all of the food, it all just kind of seemed to evaporate away. But if we're being honest today, in terms of our church life and our worship together, well, Christmas is as far away as it ever was. We've got a long time to wait before we celebrate Christmas as a church once again. And so, I guess the big question today is, how then does Christmas relate to the rest of our lives? How does that story of the first Christmas that we've spent so much time reading and hearing and thinking about together in recent weeks relate to every other Sunday and every other day that lies ahead in the coming year? Well, today we're going to look at one of two people that we meet right at the end of Luke chapter 2, and they are people who help us to discover the answer to that question. So, we're almost a week already past Christmas, but in actual fact, when you read your way through Luke's gospel, it is the events that happen a week after the first Christmas day that are just as significant as all of the events that had unfolded in Bethlehem. And so, today we're going to, for a little while, think about a man called Simeon. And Simeon had one big goal in life. He had one ambition that he wanted to fulfill, one promise that he had received from the Lord that he was so glad that he was going to see in his lifetime. And his resolution was this. He wanted to see God's salvation. Not just know God's salvation. No, he wanted to see God's salvation in the flesh, to see the one who was going to be the way in which God would save people. And on the day that we read about here, at the end of Luke chapter 2, Simeon's greatest ambition was fulfilled. Turn with me again in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And as we look at that final part of the chapter, in actual fact, I want to start and end our look at this passage with these verses here, verses 22 to 24, and we'll refer to them in just a moment. And I've put those verses up on the screen simply because what tends to happen when we look at the gospel of Luke and we look at those first couple of chapters over the Christmas season is we tend 
to think about this Christmas story by looking at the characters. So, we take a lot of time to think about the people of the first Christmas, and as a result of that, we can easily pass by these verses so that we jump straight from the shepherds and all of that stuff straight into these two people that we meet in the temple one week later. And in fact, I have to admit that when I was working my way through Luke's gospel, whenever that was back in 2018 into 2019, that I did exactly that. I was looking back to see, and I did skip past these verses, made basically no reference to them other than a little bit of background information. And yet, what we read in these verses is incredibly significant. So, why did Mary and Joseph take this trip to Jerusalem so soon after the birth of Jesus, taking this young baby into the big city? Well, simply because they were obeying God's laws. They were fulfilling requirements that had been set out in the book of the law, because Jesus, as the firstborn male, was to be consecrated to the Lord. That's what happened with every firstborn male in every Jewish family. We read about that in verse 23. But the key thing is, not only that, there was another thing that was going to happen as they came to the temple, and that was they were going to offer a sacrifice. A sacrifice was to be made in accordance with what was laid out in the book of Leviticus, and we can read that in our own Bibles in the Old Testament. And so, I want you to keep that in mind, that sacrifice lies right at the heart of this trip to the temple, and we'll come back to that at the end. But on that day when Simeon laid eyes on the baby Jesus, straight away he realized the importance of this child, so that we're given this wonderful insight into the identity and the future of Jesus. Listen again to what he says in verses 34 and 35. Look at those verses, and then we'll think about those in more detail. And Simeon puts it like this, and it must have been incredible for Mary and Joseph to hear, even given all of the angels visiting and all the rest of it, to hear these words about this child, that this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then this bit as well, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Those words spoken specifically to Mary. Now, what's that all about? What is so special about this child that Simeon is holding in his arms? Well, if you look at those verses, you'll see four things that Simeon reveals about Jesus, reveals about the Christ child. Let's look at them very quickly together. And the first thing is this. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Verse 34. Now, I'll tell you how I've always understood that phrase, and then I'll try and explain what it actually means. And it's never good to hear a minister say that, but I'm being honest. I did not get what this phrase meant, because the way I looked at that phrase was that this was talking about all people and that 
some people would accept Jesus and would accept salvation. They would be raised up. Other people would reject Him, and they would fall down in that sense. That's not what this phrase means. That is certainly the truth. We know that there has to be one or other response to Jesus, and we'll see that and think more about that in the following verse. But if you look more carefully at this phrase, and this is the key part, he talks about the falling and the rising of many, not all people. So, he's talking about a specific group of people here, and he's actually referring to people who will first fall and then rise because of Jesus. So, what does that mean? What's that all about? Well, simply, Simeon is referring to those who would believe in Christ. And he's talking about that process that must take place in the lives of people who truly come to put their trust in Jesus. That if they want to share in His glory, in that sense, if they want to be raised up with Jesus, first of all, there needs to be a fall. He's pointing out what is the necessary experience for everyone who truly comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. That first of all, we need to bow in humility, that we need to realize what the Bible describes as our spiritual poverty. That we need to be able to see in our own lives, there's absolutely nothing that I can do about sorting out the problem of my sin by myself. It's just not going to work. If I have big ideas about myself, those are so stupid because the only person who's going to sort out the problem of my sin is Jesus Himself. And that's what needs to happen before we are then raised up, we are lifted up to new life in Christ. And it's when we see our inadequacy, it's when we have a, a right estimation of ourselves that then we truly are in a place to receive God's grace, because we know that we need it so badly. So, what Simeon is saying of the Lord Jesus here is, this baby, this child, this person, He will bring people down. He will humble them before He then raises them up. And understanding that, I think there's a, a great challenge today. And the challenge is humility. Are you humble? Am I humble? You know, so often I have big ideas about myself, and I'm sure that is true of you as well. But that's not the way of salvation. The way of salvation is to be humble and to say, you know, without Christ, I have nothing and I am nothing. So there's a real challenge to humility as we step in to another year. But alongside that, there's also a great encouragement. Because in understanding this phrase, we better understand what God's purposes are for our life and how this life begins to make more sense. As we step through difficult times, painful times, as we are in a sense, led low during those times. It is for the purpose of God lifting His people up. 
Remember that for those who are God's people in Christ, this is the great purpose that God has for you. This is the great plan that He has, and that is that you will become glorified with His Son, Jesus, and that you will become more and more like His Son each day. That's His plan for you as a believer in Christ in 2024, that you will become more and more and more like Jesus. And the way in which God brings about that plan is not by making our lives easier. Often it is by making our lives more difficult so that we come to be refined and to look to Jesus alone and to truly trust the Lord. And that doesn't make those struggles any easier. And I would certainly want to stress that today, given the struggles that many people, the painful days that many of you have stepped through, but at least it helps us to understand God's purposes in all of that. So, that's the first thing. But then, second, Simeon says that Mary's son will be a sign that will be spoken against. And we know that in the Bible, there are all kinds of pictures that help us to understand who Jesus is and why He came into the world. Many of them are pictures that Jesus gave us Himself when He called Himself bread and light and a gate and a lamb and a shepherd and a vine, the things that we were thinking about in our opening prayer today. But here's another picture of the Lord Jesus. It is the picture of a sign, and it's a great description of Christ. Because if you think about what a sign does, a sign points us in the right direction, or at least hopefully it does, although I know around the place sometimes people switch signs around, but if a sign is doing its true job, it is pointing you in the right direction. And Simeon is saying that this child came to make the Father, his heavenly Father, known, to point men and women to his heavenly Father. And yet, right at the start of his ministry, and if you read on into Luke's gospel, you'll soon see this, people spoke against Jesus. So, if you read through, you'll see that straight away people were saying, the power that Jesus has, it's not divine, it comes from the evil one, it is demonic. They despised Him, they maligned Him, they, they rejected Him. Ultimately, of course, they crucified Him. And so, as Simeon says, He was a sign that was spoken against. And as we think about that again, there's a challenge for those who love Jesus here today. And the challenge is this, are you prepared to pay the cost of following Jesus? We think very little about the cost of discipleship, mainly because for us in the West, there isn't actually that much of a cost. But even over this Christmas period, even though it's on reported by the BBC and others, there are people in other parts of the world, and the cost that they are paying for following Christ is enormous. In Nigeria, over this Christmas season, another church attacked by Islam, Islamists, and people killed, and others injured. 
And Jesus says, that is what you expect or should expect if you follow me. Matthew 10, verse 22, words spoken not only to his disciples then, but to all disciples at all times, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So, are you willing to share in the way of the cross as we step into this new year? But alongside that, there's also an encouragement that if we do face any opposition, and maybe here in our culture, our society, it is a more low-grade opposition, but opposition nonetheless. If in the coming days you get sick from a loved one, from a family member, from someone in your home because of your faith in Christ and the priority that you give Him in your life, if you get a hard time in work, if you find yourself wrestling with changes in our society and finding yourself having to make some tough calls about how you're going to respond to things that you're being asked to do or things that you're being asked to say, or as is more commonly the case, things that you're actually being asked to believe. Know that Jesus experienced at first, that the Savior never ever allows His followers to experience things that He has not Himself experienced. Your Savior, your Lord, knows what that rejection, that opposition is like. And then the next thing that Simeon says is that through this child, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, verse 35. And what he simply is saying is what we were hinting at earlier on, that how people respond to Jesus exposes what their heart is really like. And that happens in the life of this church and this community as well. Simeon's words show that one of the big things that Jesus will do is to reveal what people's hearts are like. And we maybe try and disguise that because we are good at doing that. We put up all kinds of masks and disguises and blocks to other people as to what is really going on in our heart and in our life. But Jesus reveals it, and indeed He sees it. And I guess the big challenge coming out of that particular phrase is this, are you in need of a, a change of heart? Indeed, do you need, spiritually speaking, a new heart as you step into a new year? It's found in Christ and in looking and trusting in Him. And the great encouragement is, this comfort is that incredibly Jesus sees the heart of those who are His people, who are God's people in Him, and yet He loves us nonetheless. I find that incredible, and I find that just a mind-blowing thing, that Jesus looks upon me, that He knows what I'm really like in ways that you don't. And yet, Scripture tells me that in Christ, God is for me and not against me. And all of this gets to the ultimate reason that this child came into the world. The ultimate mission 
that Jesus came to fulfill. Because what Simeon says specifically to Mary right at the end is probably a little bit unexpected. Look at verse 35. He says to her, a sword will pierce your own soul too. We'll talk about bursting the bubble or destroying the moment. You know, this is a an incredible moment. Here is this baby being brought to the temple for Jewish people, such a highlight. You think what it's like here on a baptism Sunday and the, the joy amongst the family. And here's Simeon, and he has got to meet salvation in the flesh. It all seems so good. And then he ends it all with these words. He's literally bursting the bubble, piercing the bubble. A sword will pierce your own soul too. It's not exactly the kind of thing that's going to endear you if you step into a home where there's a new baby and you say that to the mom, this kid's going to give you so much heartache. It's going to really give you so much distress. But Simeon is pointing to the cross. He's pointing to what Jesus came to do. The thing about this Jesus is He's not only a sign pointing to the Father, but He is the one who alone would bring us to the Father. That He's not only one who would reveal what our hearts are like, but He's the one who can make those hearts clean, who can give us a new heart so that we're right with God. And to do that cost him his life. And it did give his mother great grief. And all of this brings us back to where we started. It brings us back to those neglected verses, to verses 22 to 24. The reason why his parents brought Jesus to the temple in the first place. And remember that part of the purpose of that visit was to offer a sacrifice as we see in verse 24. Why did that need to happen? Well, it was an offering that had to pay for, that had to atone for their sin. So, that this moment in the first Christmas actually points us ahead to what would happen on the first Easter. And Mary and Joseph didn't yet realize all of this, But the child that they brought to Jerusalem that day would one day return to Jerusalem in order to be that ultimate sacrifice, that ultimate atoning sacrifice for sin. That's why as we gather here to worship the Lord today, sacrifice is not part of our worship. We don't need to get up to the front, and you'll be glad to know I don't need to get down and start to slaughter animals and begin to burn them at the front. It's not part of our worship as the church of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, the finished sacrifice, the sacrifice that is sufficient for those who trust in Him and find salvation in Him. And so, let me end with these incredible words of praise that Simeon said on that day as he held the Christ child in his arms. And I think these are beautiful words. Verse 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss 
your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I have literally seen your salvation in the flesh. I've seen Jesus, the Lord saves. What beautiful verses, but what challenging verses as well as we finish. Because what is your response? You know, you hear people say that, don't you? My life would be complete if dot, dot, dot. Someone might say, my life would be complete if Man United won the Premier League. I hope you're going to live a long, long time. You'll, You'll have a big weight. But someone might say something like that. Or you hear people say, oh, that happened. Now I can die a happy man. Or I can die a happy woman. But that's literally what Simeon meant. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he saw Jesus, when he looked at salvation in the flesh, he said, and it's a euthanism, you can dismiss your servant in peace. He said, I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? When you think about the uncertainties of this past year, and you look at the year that lies ahead. It's a sobering question to finish with, isn't it? But let me hang that one out there and leave it hanging. Are you ready to go? If your life were to end, would it have been a case of, I could be dismissed in peace because I'd seen salvation in the flesh. I trusted in Jesus. I'm going to finish with that. And if anybody wants to speak to me about that one, it's a big question, and I would be glad to talk to you about that. So, one more Christmas 